Well, good morning. Glad you're here. We are looking at the story, of course, of Abraham and Isaac. And we're looking at the foreshadowing. We'll see how this passage is the foreshadowing of Christ. Now, with that said, in America today, there are at least five different views that people have of God today in America. Some people have this view, and, and matter of fact, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about us is what we think slash believe about God. And in America today, some people think this about God. They think Jesus is a genie, or at least that's what they want him to be. If I rub the Bible just right, say the right prayer, get the right verse, say the right words, do the right thing, then God will give me what I want, what I'm asking for, what I need, more stuff, things that I want, the way I want a relationship to go, if I can just kind of key in the right codes. Still others would say, you know, I think God is pretty judgmental. Seems like he's kind of a angry God, that Old Testament God that Christians and Jews talk about. Seems pretty judgmental to me. While others will go to the other side and say he's a benevolent God. He's the sweet, syrupy grandma God. He's the granddaddy God. And he's just kind and gentle. And um, he can't really do think much about other things. And things are going on, but he sure is sweet and he's always with me. Others think of a distant God that God, there was probably a God who created this world and this earth and maybe got things going, but he's not transcending into our current life or situations. While others, which I would say probably the majority of Americans, they really have what I would call projection God. They kind of project what they think God should be and who they want him to be, and ironically, he always lines up with what they would do. They project that he would act a certain way, that he would be kind, that he would want to work with them, that he would want to help them in certain ways, that he'd want to be in a certain political party. They project that this is who God is. You know what projection is. It's me uh, projecting upon you what I want things to be or way that should, they, they should be. And that's one of the ways that we know is we read the Old Testament and we read stories like we'll read today your mind would never project this story. It would never project the request that God Almighty is going to make of Abraham. And that's one of the reasons we know it's the Word of God. It's not a figment of our imagination or even what we would do or even what we think God should do. It's simply who He is, the divine creator, the righteous, the holy God of the universe whose ways are not like ours. And he comes into mankind in ancient civilization in a time where idolatry was the norm, where there were gods for everything. There was child sacrifice. There was everything that you could imagine. And he calls out a man named Abraham and said, I'm going to use you to create a people, a race, a nation that will be a light unto the world. Now, as we see Abraham, let's kind of review a little bit, because there were several tests that Abraham went through, and this being kind of the coup de grace test. But let's look at the tests that Abraham has experienced. First of all, God calls Abraham out of Ur, and we talked about how this was a thriving metropolis. This was probably the, the epicenter of culture and business and trade. Uh, there were 
luxurious homes. There were two and three-story homes. There was, the archaeologists have discovered that they had, some of them even had indoor water and indoor plumbing. And, and this was four to 5,000 years ago. So it's amazing what had existed. And it, it was a place where you would probably want to live if you were at that time. And God tested Abraham. He said, I'm going to call you out, and I want you to come to a land of which I will show you. And so Abraham does that, and he leaves, and he finds himself eventually in Canaan. But when he gets to Canaan, there's a, at the time, there is a famine. And so he feels he needs to go to Egypt. But he tells his wife, Sarah, who's a beautiful woman, who is a woman who probably had a very exotic look. He said, look, there are going to be a lot of cultures that they would love to take you from me and make you their own. So what we're going to do is you're going to tell them that I am your brother. And he actually was a half-brother. He said, You're going to, I'm going to tell you that I'm your brother, and that way they'll treat me well and not seek to try to remove me. So he somehow gets Sarah to agree with this plan, and, but that's not what God had intended. And so God has to intervene because Sarah is taken by the Pharaoh, and God intervenes to make sure Sarah comes back, and God rescues sort of Abraham and Sarah from that situation. And then he goes on, and then there's his nephew Lot. Uh, they've received... Uh, some goods and services from the Egyptians as well as what they've taken. Abraham was already a wealthy man. And so then they find themselves, we've got so much that we can't all get along together, so to speak. We have so much livestock. And he comes to Lot and he says, Lot, let's split up. Whatever direction you go, I'll go the opposite. And Lot, the Bible said Lot looked out and he saw the area that was green and lush and he chose that one. He chose the quote, the wealthy area. And Abraham went the other way. But it wasn't soon before Lot was in trouble. And Abraham has to go at his expense and rescue Lot. Then the promise is given to Abraham. Look, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And through him, all nations will be blessed. You can count on it. I'm going to give you a son. But year after year after year goes by. And Abraham and Sarah become impatient. And they decide they need to help God out. And they kind of fail this test. And they end up taking their servant, Hagar, and Abraham has a son by her. And now he's got two wives, and you know how that goes. And if you don't, you don't want to know. It's never a good thing. Uh, Polygamy is never endorsed by Scripture. Every time we see it, it's a horrible situation. Nobody's ever got a big happy smile on their face. It's strife because that's not the way God intended, but that's what Abraham does. And so with that, Abraham welcomes, not soon after that, He welcomes some strangers that come, and they let him know, look, it's not going to be through Ishmael. We're going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And Sarah hears this. And during that time, on their way, they are headed towards Sodom and Gomorrah. There are three angels, and he hears of what, that they're going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham prays on their behalf. You see the heart of Abraham asking on their behalf if they could just find some righteous men of which they can't. So then Abraham goes on, and then he finds himself in another area where he does the same deception. He is afraid again, and he tells them that it's his half-sister. You think he'd learn, but no, we're still struggling in that, in that area of our life. And then Isaac is born in fulfillment of the promise, and then we see this final big test where Abraham is asked to give Isaac as a sacrifice. The Jews call it the akedah. It's the binding. Matter of fact, they're are three words that we'll see that the Jews use here. The Akedah, the binding of, of, uh, of the animal, the binding of the sacrifice. And then we'll see another word called Ola, 
which is not from the movie Frozen, but it is the whole sacrifice. As a matter of fact, it's the word that holocaust comes from. And then we'll see the word Jireh, which means provider. Sometimes you hear that term Jehovah Jireh. All right. Well, let's move on and let's look at some of the things that we're going to see in this text. And I think you'll see as we go through this, uh, we'll see the foreshadowing that is coming our way. And let's look at this passage of Scripture, if you would, with me, beginning in 22, the first verse. After these things, God tested Abraham. So we have the luxury and the inside of knowing that God is testing Abraham here. And the Bible says, Abraham, and each time he says, here I am. And then two, verse 2, this is an important verse, so I want you to catch all that's being said here. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I shall tell you. Now, you may look at that initially and not recognize the wealth of content that's here. But he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, the reason that it's his only son is because he has sent Ishmael away. He will never see Ishmael again, not that we know of. So he has sent Hagar and Ishmael away. And now he has the son of promise, and the Bible says that it's his only son, the one whom you love. This is the first time in Scripture that we see the word love used in the Bible. And we see that Abraham, his heart, his legacy, his focus, his meaning is wrapped up in Isaac. That word, he loves him, whom you love, your only son. And I want you to take him and I want you to go to Mount Moriah. And I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, something else that's a little harder for us to understand this culture and in the time of Abraham, virtually every culture would have practiced the law of primogenitor. Now, what does that mean? That means that the oldest son, almost universally always, was giving the vast majority of the estate. The family business, the property, the workers, the money, the oldest son would receive that. Now, the purpose for that was this is the way that you sustained your family slash clan that you had a place in the culture that you could uh, have enough to be sufficient to fight off or even to pay off whatever it took because the, the wealth and the business stayed in your family. In other words, if you had seven or eight sons or eight children and you divided it, all of a sudden you would have a seventh. But if the majority of it goes to this son and then the, a little bit of it is spaced out to these others, if, if the vast majority goes to the oldest son, well then you continue, your name continues, that line continues, the family business continues, the family property. Um, that's why when you go back and you look at the story of the prodigal son, when that younger son took that piece of land, uh, how, just how hurtful that was to everyone, including the older son. But that's, that's the law. That's the way the culture uh, provides for itself at this time. And so now God is asking him, not just your son, your son whom you love, but the hope and the future of your name, of your clan, Abraham, I want you to take it up to the land of Moriah. Now, where is Moriah? Well, we know from Second Chronicles chapter 3 that Moriah is where Solomon built the temple, which is on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. 
So at current day, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, uh, some of you, like me, we've gone there and we've seen that. It's about a 37 to 40 acre uh, lot up there, and there are lots of things up there. There's the Dome of the Rock. There are all kind of things up there now. It's considered a very holy site. And most scholars believe this is where Abraham's going to. This is where God is leading him to Mount Moriah and to offer him a burnt offering as a burnt offering on one of the mountains for which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and what does he do? He saddles his donkey. Who else had a donkey that they rode into Jerusalem on? And he took two of his young men and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood of the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, and we see that term, the third day, it's significant throughout this story as well throughout the story of Christ. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, we don't know how Abraham knew this was the place, uh, but we do know uh, that it was in the Jerusalem area. And again, we can predict or presume that it's the Tipple Mount area. We continue here, and then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, Abraham is fully anticipating sacrificing his son, and he's had three days to think about this. And as, we, as earlier we had our Abraham uh, read the passage through Hebrews, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham reckoned, he reasoned, based on his experience with God, based on how God has been faithful, that God would still be able to use him. He would still fulfill his promise. So he reckoned, even if he sacrificed Isaac, the indication being he could resurrect him. He could bring him back. He somehow, some way, and Abraham probably couldn't figure this out, but God had been faithful time and time again. When Abraham was not faithful, things didn't go well, i.e., see Hagar and Ishmael. I see Egypt, see Ger, see these places, and you see things not gone well, but when God, when Abraham has trust as God, it has gone well every time, and so Abraham has now learned, and he is trusting God, and he believes that some God will, somehow God will still fulfill the promise that he's given him through Isaac, and the Bible says, so he says, we're going to go worship, but we'll come again to you, and Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and he placed it upon his son Isaac, most certainly on his back. You see the wood being placed upon Isaac. Do you see the foreshadowing here? And Isaac said to his father, and, 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 and excuse me, and he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So then when both of them went together, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, remember God calling out, or Jesus calling out to his father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire of the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Apparently Isaac has witnessed this before. He has seen burnt offerings being given to God before. This is not the first time that he's seen uh, Abraham worship in this manner. And he goes, Where is the lamb and abraham says this god will provide jireh god will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son god will jireh 
for the lamb for himself. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and Akita, the binding. The Jews, for the Jews, this is one of the most important stories of all of the Bible. This is the time where God releases and he frees Isaac after he has been bound as a sacrifice. The Akita, the binding is what they call it. And the Bible says, and he bound his son, he Akita, his son, Isaac, his son, and laid him on the offering on the top of the wood. And just as Jesus was laid upon the cross and bound by not only ropes, but nails. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So here's the picture. He was about to give the sacrifice of which God had clearly told him, but God stops him, and he says, Abraham, Abraham, don't do this. And when Abraham, but Abraham knows this is a time of sacrifice. I've been called to sacrifice. And when he looks up, what does he see? He sees a ram caught in a thicket. Now, isn't it interesting that in this briar thicket, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the woods, not literally in the woods, but we had the woods right behind us. But I grew up in the country, and, um, you know, I used to hate just to ride our horse through a thicket. But sometimes we'd have to do that because there'd be a cow or a hog or whatever on the other side, and we'd have to go through that. And so I would kind of wrap myself up, pull my feet up, and let that horse kind of endure the briars. But I, I, I know how bad that was. This one must have been pretty significant because the ram, who's a fairly strong animal, the thicket is around his head. Who else had a crown of thorns around their head? No doubt this ram, you could speculate, was probably bleeding. And the Bible says that this ram is offered as a burnt offering instead of of his son so we see the first substitutionary atonement and that's a that's a theological position we hold to today substitutionary atonement it means someone takes your place and pays the penalty pays the cost and the bible says abraham called the name of the place the lord will provide jara the lord will provide as it is said to this day and we know the Lord has provided for us as well. On the mount of the Lord, it has been provided. On the hill, on the mountain of Jerusalem, it is provided 4,000 years ago and then 2,000 years later by Jesus Christ. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall, shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, all the nations, all the people groups of earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice through, ultimately, Jesus Christ. Do you see the foreshadowing? 
the power of the gospel. Many times we think the gospel just started in the, in the Old Testament. They just had to be good and try to figure it out. But we see the gospel even here. Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish theologian of the 20th century, said, you know, the, and he, he's an Orthodox Jew. He said, he's, the powerful thing about the word of God is it had an exact meaning in that day. And then it had a meaning a hundred years, and it has a meaning a thousand years. It has a meaning today, and it has a meaning for eternity. You cannot separate the power of God from his word. And that's exactly what we see. I want you to just, I want us to go back, and I want us to look at some of the highlights. And if you want a hard copy, it's outside as you leave today at the desk. But I want us to look at the foreshadowing, the incredible foreshadowing and when I say foreshadowing again it means the picture of what is to come a shadow of what ultimately is to be fulfilled both Jesus and Isaac were children of promise it was a promise that you will be given a son they were both named before birth Isaac was given his name the year before and Jesus uh, the angel of the Lord told Jesus told Mary you shall call him Jesus. They both were of a miraculous birth. We know Jesus was, and for Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren, and Abraham was old, but yet they had a child. Their father leads the son up to the mount, to the altar, and again, many scholars would say the exact same place, although we cannot prove it's the exact specific place. The son carries the wood up the hill. Both would carry the instrument of their uh, death upon the hill. And the father and the son go to the sacrifice together. The son is meant to be the sacrifice. The same mountain is used. The son willing goes to be sacrificed. Isaac was old enough that he could have gotten away from his hundred-plus-year-old father if he wanted to. Jesus willingly goes. Both sons are bound. The father offers his beloved son. The son trusts the father. Both sons are delivered on the third day. Isaac, is, I, I, excuse me, Abraham is told, and then three days later, he is about to sacrifice. The provision is made. Jesus is sacrificed on the third day. The Bible tells us he arose. Both sons delivered on the third day. Blood was shed for Isaac and Abraham. A ram was substituted and was sacrificed on their behalf. For you, for me, Jesus had to endure the cross, and he is our substitutionary covering atonement. The Bible says that God provided the sacrifice, the Lamb and Christ Jesus, who was the substitution, substitutionary atonement, and both had faith in the resurrection. Jesus knew that he would rise, and Abraham reasoned in his faith that God could raise him from the dead if necessary you think that's a coincidence that 4,000 years we can look back from 2,000 years we can look back I think not the power of God's word the power of the gospel so what do we learn through the gospel today what does this story teach us about the gospel well Romans chapter 4 verse 1 through 5 says this what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our fourth father, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For God, for what does, God, does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
pisteo, he put his faith in, and it was counted to him righteousness. Because Abraham put his faith in God, and he believed God. He believed the truth of God's word. He believed that God would make a way, that God could resurrect his son, even if necessary. He believed the promise of God, and it's credited to him as righteousness, as salvation. And now to the one who works, his wages is not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes, commits, transfers his trust in him who justifies the ungodly, the faith, our faith today, as it is placed in Jesus, is counted as our righteousness because of what Christ has done. We can move on to here, and the next passage of Scripture that we want to see here is Romans six twenty three, because the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So every sin had to be paid for by death. Death by an animal? Death by Christ. Christ paid the price once and for all, which leads us to Hebrews 9.22, because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who was perfect and blameless, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that when God Almighty looks at us, what does he see? He sees the perfect sacrifice. He sees the blood of Christ has covered and paid for our sins because the wages of sin is death. There must be the shedding of blood for sins to be forgiven, and Christ has done that. Which leads us to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the son whom he loved that whoever believes commits transfers their trust to him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life how beautiful the scriptures the divine word of god is weaved in and out throughout the old testament into the new testament and for us today how privileged to see the same god who has been portraying and living and giving the gospel for eternity for mankind. Now we get to see it in its fullness. How responsible are we? I was reading an article this week about uh, this coffee company who's opened up, and at least initially for a while, they're giving their coffee away for not money. It didn't cost you any money, but it cost you your information. They want a series of information and data. They want to find out about as much of you as they can. And so if you will give them all of this information, they'll give you a free cup of coffee. Basically, they're saying, give us who you are, and you're going to trust that they don't steal your identity. Give us who you are, and we'll give you a cup of coffee. You can't pay for it. We're, we're not, we don't want your money. We want you. We want who you are. That's what we need. I'm still afraid what they're going to do with it. But nevertheless, there's a company doing that. You know, that's in essence, that's what God, so many times we want to think so much of a marketing system that we give God or we do that. God say, no, I want you. I want you to give me your identity. I want you to give me who you are. And I want you to trust me with it. Give me your life. And I want you to make me your God. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. You don't deserve it. I've already given my precious son, the son in whom I love, my only begotten son, I've already given him. And the difference between Abraham and God was 
Abraham was asked, but he didn't have to give it. God actually gave his son. He went through the horror of giving him, of having him sacrificed, of seeing him call out to him, but yet letting him stay on the cross till he died, not for his sake, but for our sake. What a beautiful, gracious, magnanimous gift. Have you received it? I encourage you to today. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I pray for anyone who has never trusted Christ. Would be the day Today would be the day where they receive him. And Lord, I pray as believers that as we see the weight, as we see the beauty of the sacrifice that you have made on behalf of us, sinners who were each going our own way, God, yet you still loved us enough to give the most precious thing in your life to us. How can we neglect so great a salvation? God, let it stir us as believers in Christ Jesus, convict us of our sin, and may those who know, don't know you be drawn to you by the beauty of your love. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.